Hey guys and girls, welcome to another episode of Molecule to Market. It goes without saying, but I hope you are safe and well, and hopefully on the way back to some kind of normality post-pandemic. So thanks for tuning in as always. And in today's episode, I interviewed JB Kim, who is Managing Director at Samsung Biologics in America. He is a really, really interesting, humble, lovely guy, super friendly. Uh, and, and JB and I discuss lots of different things in today's episode. Uh, some of the things to look out for a year in at, at working for one of the world's largest and fastest growing CDMO businesses. Um, he talks about his kind of growing presence or the growing presence of the business in uh, the thriving biopharma cluster of South San Francisco and, and what it's like there. I really loved how JB talks about how COVID-19 has tested the system of the outsourcing space from R&D to patient. And, you know, and he talks about it being hopefully puts the industry in a better position to uh, orchestrate a better response for future pandemics, which is is a really interesting uh, take. And, and also listen out for how JB talks about the role of uh, academia and industry and the need to work together. And he gives some really good tips on how industry can better engage with academia uh, by adding kind of more value uh, and then, you know, hopefully benefiting from some of the innovation that's coming uh, through the academic institution. So yeah, brilliant, brilliant episode. And I really hope you enjoy. He's a, he's a great guy, JB. So uh, enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hey, JB, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Roman. Let's start, JB. Give us a bit of an overview of, of you and how you, how you got into the sector and, and ultimately ended up at, at Samsung Biologics. Okay, so I have a long history in academia. I did my uh, PhD and did a good amount of uh, research and published some number of uh, peer-reviewed journals. So I thought I was going to be university uh, faculty professor. Uh, but then, uh, you know, something happened uh, during my academic years. I ended up in an industry. I joined a company called Caliper Life Sciences in 2007. And the company got acquired by uh, Pork and Elmer. And I stayed in the company in total uh, 13 years before I joined Samsung Biologics last year in May. And how has your first year been at Samsung Biologics? And obviously in the, in the middle of the pandemic <laughs> as well to make your life even more complicated. How has is, how is your first year uh, been with, with the company? It was actually a crazy thing that I did uh, during the pandemic because <laughs> I joined, I did not join Samsung in the States. I joined Samsung in South Korea. So I had to move from uh, California to South Korea during the pandemic. And then uh, I spent about uh, 10 months over there. My experience over there is just fantastic. I met brilliant people and fantastic teams and a wonderful management of the company. Uh, my colleagues, uh, there are about 2,800 uh, by then. Those are just wonderful people to work with, and it's a great team. I learned so much, 
and I only had good experience at uh, Samsung so far. You're obviously the managing director of Samsung Biologics. What what is that role in comparison? You know, what what does that scope look like? Yeah, so the Samsung Biologics uh, just opened a new R&D center in South San Francisco. We're located in the middle of the biopharmaceutical uh, cluster in the Bay Area. My role here is to oversee the operations of the R&D center. So you're back in California now, is that is that correct? Yes, correct. Um, I um, just came back to California at the end of March, and I started uh, working uh, at our new R&D center in South San Francisco on April 1st. Very good. And, and Samsung Biologics has, has really burst onto the scene in the, uh, the pharma and biotech space in the last decade or so. And uh, it's, it's a really interesting story of a, of a business. And curious to know, you know, based on your first, well, well actually, I was going to ask you how much you knew about Samsung Biologics before you joined uh, the business and also what, what has surprised you or really impressed you about, about the company so far? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, when you think about the biopharmaceutical industry, there is a, you know, far upstream, there is a drug discovery uh, part, which is R&D part. And then there is a supply part to build, to make those drugs and deliver those drugs to uh, patients. Most of my career, even when I was in Perknamer, was kind of focused on the drug discovery R&D part those uh, fields are the ones that I got involved in. I wasn't that involved in the supply chain of the biologics drugs in the industry. And Samsung Biologics is taking a huge part in supply chain of the drugs. We're manufacturing commercial quantity of biologics drugs for many uh, pharmaceutical companies. And we also do you know, feed and finish, meaning that we actually feed amples, the buyers, to make the close to the very final product uh, right before getting into the patient. So that plays a very significant role in industry. And I did not understand the scale of that operation before I joined <laughs> Samsung. That's something that I was, I was actually quite surprised. And the scale of operation and the logistics is just fascinating. And interestingly, I know in my research prior to speaking with you today, JB, I, I noticed uh, Samsung's, uh, the information around the super plant, which I believe is the world's largest biopharmaceutical manufacturing facility. Can you tell us more about that facility and I suppose its potential in catering for this growing global biomanufacturing space? Yeah, so you know, as a single campus, we are the biggest biologics manufacturing facility in the world as of today. But we're not uh, stopping there. We're actually building plant number four. Currently, we have a 364,000 liter capacity to grow cells and make uh, antibody drugs or any biological drugs in there. But plant four is by itself will have a 256 thousand liters. That's a massive uh, scale mm. operation. And once we are finished in two years, we're going to be having a 620 kiloliter uh, capacity in the single campus. So it's going to be a pretty uh, big operation. I'm interested to know, obviously, you know, being 
located in in Asia and the manufacturing facility being based in in Asia and obviously having an R and D capability in you know over on the on the west coast. What what advantages do you see in having you know the manufacturing and production capacity in Asia uh, and obviously having spent the best part of a year there? What was it that you saw about you know what Asia offers and what Korea offers that is of of advantage to to the pharmaceutical and biotech industry? Right. So you know, one may say that you know South Korea may be uh, sitting on the other side of the planet, so it may not be uh, easy to uh, reach out. But in fact, from my experience over there, well, we almost did not have any problem in interacting with our clients in the States or in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest advantage being in South Korea is to get best talents uh, in the world. People in South Korea are very well educated, extremely smart, very easy to uh, work with, so that it's very easy to uh, build the best teams in South Korea. And I found that it's really um, pleasantly surprising that I did not find any uh, language barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people are very fluent in uh, in English over there, especially uh, people who are involved in uh, business areas. And for clients, being in Asia, they can actually reduce the cost of goods uh, in making uh, their uh, drug substances and drug products for their supplies. So it has both, you know, uh, you know, advantages. One, good talents. Uh, two, uh, cost-effective manufacturing in there. It's really interesting. And based on your experience, JB, is is that cost difference still significant versus say manufacturing in the U.S.? I'm conscious of you have experience on 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 both continents, and is it still? a significant cost saving to produce in Asia versus the US? Yes, I believe that's the case. You know, there are many, uh, you know, factors going into those costs, right? But, you know, the good portion of that cost is a labor cost. People in South Korea, you know, it's a very well advanced country and people, the wages is high enough to live comfortably, but the wages is um, still a little bit uh, more advantageous to those in the States or in Europe. So I think we still have some uh, some advantages and that advantage is transferring to our clients so that they can enjoy those uh, benefits uh, in their business. Mm, it's really interesting. I'm glad we've got your thoughts and perspective on that. And one thing I was gonna ask about was, you've obviously spent a big part of your career here in, in North America and obviously are now experiencing a Korean headquartered global CDMO business. I'm just curious to know how the culture difference is between working for a Korean business, albeit a very global, well-respected business and kind of typical US business culture. How are, how are they similar and, and how are they different in, in your experience? Yeah, so that's one thing that I was worried before I joined Samsung because I worked in, you know, in the States for 13 years and joining uh, Samsung I was a little bit nervous actually, but then I found that there's a you know small differences here and there for sure because of the cultural differences um, and that kind of thing. But in terms of business, I almost did not find that much of difference because most of our clients are based in the U.S. or Europe. So you know the mindset of the people who are working at Samsung Biologics 
their mindset is a global mindset. So yeah. I personally did not find that much of difference. But you know, those are good things. On the contrary, you know, like it, the people have great tendency to unite fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can get the consensus pretty easily. And once the decision is uh, made, everything uh, was moving really fast. And again, that the faster part is is a in the nature of some Korean mm-hmm. culture. But you know, again, that works beneficial to our clients because we could accommodate a lot of requests uh, from our clients. So then uh, we can be very flexible, you know, changing the direction fast based on clients' requests. I love that. It's uh, it's really interesting to kind of understand the, I suppose, some of the richness of a particular culture, like the Korean culture, and how that then almost manifests itself through the way that the company delivers value to a client, which I always find, you know, really, really fascinating. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more. Obviously, we talk, we've talked a lot about Samsung Biologics and your your move there and your time there so far. And you as an individual have got a, a really incredible um, experience from an academic perspective. You know, if I look back at your career, you always seem to be learning and um, educating yourself, you know, including a postgrad at University of California and, you know, some time at Stanford University and the State University of Michigan, where I believe you're still involved now. So I'm just interested to know, is is that kind of academic educational side of your personality has that always been there it sounds or it seems like it's a very important part of of your continuous development i always like to um, learn uh, new things that actually drives me to uh, connect uh, with uh, universities and that's on the other side and part of my job was always involved in advances in technology. And those technologies are are mostly originated from uh, universities. So, you know, having a relationship with uh, universities, faculties, and, uh, you know, getting to know what is happening in the field, that actually helped me a lot to understand the industry and to help my clients throughout the years. But at the same time, you know, I was always on the science side, you know, research side. So at some point, I wanted to learn about how the business is practiced. So um, I, I did my MBA through uh, University of Illinois Open and Champagne. Very good. I'm sure you'll you'll always be learning something despite how busy you, you probably are at work. <laughs> you always have something going on. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Tell us, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I'd be interested in your thoughts. And obviously I'm in Boston where there's a huge cluster of biopharma companies and biotech companies. What can you tell us about the biopharma cluster in San Francisco? I mean, a lot of people we've interviewed on the podcast have talked about you know, San Francisco, San Diego, North Carolina, obviously Cambridge and Boston. What is it like being in the biopharma cluster in San Francisco? Is it continuing to grow and develop? Is, are you seeing more investment going in, more companies appearing? Yes. You know, I've been only here for a month, but uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been to I've been to I've been to this area many times. So I've been uh, I've been uh, watching how the area is growing. This area is still active, and this R and D center of uh, Samsung Biologics is our first 
branch, office, or uh, research center outside of Korea. And the being here, we feel that uh, we can serve our clients more like in real time. And at the same time, we're providing um, satellite development services uh, from our R&D center for now. But uh, we have an ambitious plan to expand in South San Francisco. And at the same time, we have planned to expand to Boston areas that you just mentioned. And we also have planned to expand to Europe and China uh, in the future. So this is going to be a very important site uh, for Samsung Biologics and being close to the clients and mediating the communications between our uh, US clients and the headquarters, we're going to be uh, playing pretty significant roles in, in there. That's, that's great to hear. And I'm not for one second going to doubt that that's any of that's going to happen. Cause if you look at the growth of the business over the past decade, it's been incredibly impressive. So I think that continued expansion is very likely and, and almost inevitable. And JB, how would your best friend describe you in, in three words? In three words, maybe they may say friendly, smiling, uh, maybe humble. That's that makes me goosebump. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, we we had a short conversation beforehand, and I think that's a very accurate. That's probably how I would describe you. You're a very friendly, humble guy. Very clear uh, to see. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about. Obviously, we've just talked about San Francisco and the the cluster there, and we've discussed uh, obviously Samsung Biologics is incredible presence in Asia as well. What what are the kind of, um, and if we think about the sector generally in terms of how COVID has impacted the sector, other shifts, particularly in the bio uh, manufacturing space, what, what big trends and changes are you seeing going on right now? Or what do you think will happen as, as, the, as the industry continues to evolve and develop? That's a good question. Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, the COVID hit the world. Uh, it was a disaster. It's a still disaster for the for the world. But mm-hmm. it was also amazing to see how the industry and academia work together and develop those vaccines in fast time period. That is amazing. At the same time, there are a number of companies who are developing the drugs to treat COVID, right? So, and those are, uh, some of them are already, um, you know, authorized for emergency uses. And those are actually are administered to patients right now. So we're, and, and many of them are biological drugs. And the sector that we are in is in high demand. And that's actually one of the reasons that we started building uh, the new plant. But, you know, in general, the whole world is in demand for those uh, biological drug manufacturing facilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the trend, I think, uh, is going to be remaining that the speed of the development and the responses to the next pandemic, I hope it doesn't happen, but uh, it's going to be much more uh, orchestrated and it's going to be much more faster. I think it's, the trend will remain. Really interesting insight. And I've got a couple of follow-up questions. Firstly, you talked about the industry and academia 
had worked together and pulled together and been able to uh, join forces. Given your experience and as someone who's obviously been in both sides, if you like, for, for many, many years, is your hope that that continues past the pandemic in terms of that the collaboration that we've seen in the sector will continue and ultimately deliver products quicker to patients? Or do you think things might go back to the old ways when <laughs> and, and everyone works in silos? I'm just interested to know your views on, on that. I think I think the trend is going to be continued and I and I believe that the the collaboration between academia and industry will will be even more expanding uh, in the future because the academia they're trying always a new things you know, you know for instance mRNA vaccines those when mm-hmm. that thing came out first uh, it didn't get that much of attention uh, from industry but at some point it was realized by industry and it got into today's mm-hmm. stage. So, you know, the new technology development and of course, industry by itself has um, huge R&D forces and they do their own uh, innovation part. But I believe academia uh, has a unique you know, environment to try something that never tried mm-hmm. before. So uh, I think that trend will continue. And JB, you know, you've obviously engaged a lot with academia and continue to do so. For any of our listeners who are working in the sector and working, you know, say in a commercial or a technical role for a company in the sector, how do they go about engaging with an academic institution? I don't know how receptive universities and colleges are to to industry, but if if I was working for a CDMO in the UK, for example, how would I go about, you know, uh, you know, based on your experience and everything you've said there about, you know, you know, academia and industry working together, what advice would you have for people in terms of just building those bridges and building those relationships with academic institutions? It may sound, you know, cliche, but you know, it's it's also all about relationship and network. Mm-hmm. You gotta have some relationship with universities to start a conversation, and I think in the beginning. Before you get something from academia, say you, if you're in industry, uh, first to give something to academia. Giving doesn't have to be uh, materials or uh, money. Uh, it can be a knowledge or experience sharing, that kind of thing. So, and in academia, those are very valuable opinions that's coming from industry, right? So you can build relationship uh, providing your advices to academia. And from there, you're just helping each other and moving forward and grow together. No, I think that's really terrific advice, actually, in terms of, I suppose, being generous and kind and uh, proactive with giving to to universities and colleges to build those relationships rather than knocking on the door and said, hey, we want something from you, <laughs> which is probably... No, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work in that yeah. way. I, I think yeah. it's great advice, actually. I think for, for many of our listeners, it's a good pathway to building relationships with, with academic institutions. And I want to just pick up on something else you said as well, where you talked about, and hopefully we don't see another pandemic in you know the next 100, 200 years, but I hear it's not out of the question. And you talked about being better prepared and and having a more orchestrated approach. So do you think based on 
on how the industry has had to adapt to the pandemic that, you know, as I say, God forbid, we're in this situation in three or four years time or five years time. But do you think the industry is better prepared and would be able to orchestrate, I suppose, a more coordinated global response as opposed to maybe what we've seen in COVID, which has been relatively fragmented and localized and nationalistic at times. So, uh, yeah, I just love your thoughts on on that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, nobody wanted this happen and nobody wants you know, another one happens. But whether we want it or not, we had a chance to test our entire system mm-hmm. uh, from R&D all the way down to, you know, logistics to deliver the drugs to the the all parts of the world. So we tested, we checked on every single steps during this pandemic. And I think we're going to be well prepared for the next one that we don't want to see. It's a really interesting observation. That It's funny, it's not actually come up in any of the interviews on, on Molecule to Market. And it, you know, the name of the podcast is Molecule to Market, which is literally, you know, what you said there, that R&D to patient piece. And it's a really... Fascinating point that you mentioned there about the testing of the system and that actually the the life science industry has been really tested in the last year to 18 months and actually on the whole has come come out looking pretty good, I would say, in terms of the speed of the vaccinations and treatments and the role of diagnostics as well. So I think that's a really fascinating point. And my last question, because I know you're a busy man, <laughs> JP, and I don't want to keep you here too long is I suppose you know if there was one change that you could make to the sector so if you could make a change to the sector that would be implemented across everyone you know for the advancement of healthcare and for life sciences what would that be that's a such a broad I know, uh, sorry uh, I, I saved the, I saved the worst question for last I am, uh, <laughs> and I am sitting in one of those uh, small sectors in uh, supply chain but I would say, in general, inequality in public health throughout the world may want to get changed because, um, you know, the pandemic hits every single country in the world. Mm-hmm. Some countries are more vaccinated than the other one. And some countries have spikes and some countries have better control like yeah. that, you know. And, and what about from a supply chain perspective, then, if we if we narrow the scope of the question around being if there was one change that you could make to the supply chain that would uh, make it better more efficient what you know based on your experience in this space is there something that you think would would benefit the industry if it happened across the board i think samsung biologics does its best uh, Mm -hmm. and the partners that we work with uh, i see they do their best uh, work around the clock for you know, last, you know, past year it was just it was really busy collaboration uh, yeah. between uh, companies who were asking us to uh, make their drug substances and drug products, and uh, we've been working 24/7, 365 days to provide those materials to the patients. So, I mean, I'm sure there are things that needs to be optimized or it can be a little bit even faster. But, you know, from my experience, I think we are almost at the max Mm -hmm. speed that we could get in this, you know, 
current situation. Yeah, and I, and I actually think you answered the question really well, JB, because actually what you were articulating in my mind was just better collaboration in the sector. And it sounds like Samsung Biologics has managed to do that with its partners to to bring treatments to market and and you know work efficiently. So I think you know it's it's a theme we often come across in molecule to market, which is just the need for better collaboration, just as you talked about actually around industry and academia. So, and I think that's a really, uh, I think positive and encouraging place to to end the discussion. Uh, JB, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on as a guest. So thank you so much for, for your time uh, and your insight today. I'm sure our listeners have, have gained lots from, from your expertise. Thank you very much for having me, Roman. Thank you. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.